good stuff. That is the church being the church, right? That's kind of why we exist. So uh, again, Lindsay said it. I'll say it again. So proud of you. Grateful for you as you have stepped up to give and just meet needs in this time that feels very, very weird. And like, how do you meet some of those physical needs? Um, some of the stories that Susan shared with me just about the moms in their program uh, would make you cry, would break your heart. And the fact that we can meet just a very practical need and say, here, mom, go get an expensive latte at Starbucks, something you wouldn't normally think of. Um, it, I'm just really proud. So way to go, way to step up and do that. Um, as Lindsay said, if you've not met me before, I, uh, my name is John. I get to serve as a lead pastor. And whether you're joining online, you're right here in the room, I'm very, very thankful for you. Um, I, I'm so grateful that in the midst of what feels like an insane Christmas season, that we can rally together and just be reminded of why we exist as a church, why we follow Jesus, why Christmas makes a massive difference in just our hope and how we view our lives. And I wanted to start uh, today and just lead into this teaching uh, by reading you a short story. How many of you love, or maybe you have little kids and you remember like just sitting down with the story was so fun and so formative. Well, this short story I heard a couple weeks ago and I started to think about it because this story is written by Emily Kingsley. And uh, Emily Kingsley is a writer, but she's also the mother of a special needs child, specifically with Down syndrome. And uh, she writes about her experience in a bunch of different ways. But I wanted to read you just a short story that I heard from her uh, a couple weeks ago. And I just haven't stopped thinking about it. I think it has a lot of implications for our Christmas. Uh, so here it goes. Quiet yourself, get comfortable, and listen in. She says, I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. She says, it's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks, you make wonderful plans, the Colosseum, Michelangelo, the gondolas in Venice, you may learn even some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. But after months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and on the intercom and says, welcome to the Netherlands. Wait, the Netherlands, you say? <laughs> Netherlands? What do you mean, the Netherlands? I signed up and paid for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy all my life. I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in the Netherlands, and there you must stay. The important thing is they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, pestilence-filled country. Some of you are Dutch, and you, take, you would take that very personally, okay? You're like, don't you dare. But it's just a different place. It's not Italy. So you must go out. you got to buy new guidebooks. You must learn a new language. And eventually you will meet a whole new group of people you would have never met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy. It's less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there a while and you catch your breath, you look around, you begin to notice that the Netherlands have windmills. The Netherlands have tulips. The Netherlands even have Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy. And they're all bragging about what a wonderful time 
they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never go away because the loss of that dream is still a very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely, the very beautiful things about the Netherlands. Now, she writes that story about her experience raising a Down syndrome daughter. But as I look at our world, what she goes on later to describe is this sense of disorientation. And I think that's what the Christian life is really about. I think the Christian life ends up being, in the end, a journey from orientation, this is the way life was, to disorientation, something changes or rattles that, and you're forced to make a decision, do I stay, do I live in disorientation, or do I decide to move to what we would call reorientation, realignment with a different way of living? And ultimately, that's what it means to be a Christian. Christians, they start out in a place of sin and brokenness, recognizing when they get to disorientation, they can't do it on their own, that they need a rescuer, a savior, someone to redeem them. And then reorientation is saying, all right, I'm not going to live in those first two places anymore. I'm going to identify with Jesus. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to recognize I need forgiveness and salvation. It's reorientation. Now, some of you know what disorientation feels like even in the last week. For some of you, it was a, a COVID test disorients your world. For some of you, it's job loss and the pain of not having that career lined up like you thought heading into the next year. Disorientation. Some of you know what that feels like from a divorce that seemed to have blindsided you. You have no idea it was coming or, or a breakup that ruined you because you didn't have it on your radar. You thought things were great. Maybe you watched The Bachelorette and that happens every single night at seven o'clock. Like, they're like, wait, what? I didn't know. I thought we were in love. And they're like, hey, I'm going to send you home. You can hop in the Escalade, do your loop, pack your bags, and leave. Like, disorienting experiences happen to us almost weekly. And some of us find ourselves a few days away from Christmas 2020 in the Netherlands when we wanted to be in Italy. It's just a different place. We are in a disoriented place. So friends, family, what do you do? When your world gets turned upside down, when you find yourself in a place that you're not familiar with, that's different, that doesn't feel like home anymore, a relationship that doesn't feel like it did last year, a financial picture in your own home that feels a little bit more strained, a little bit more stressed, and a little less secure than it did last Christmas, when you find yourselves in the Netherlands instead of Italy, what do you do? I want to take you to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 39, we get a picture for how this actually plays out in God's people. So if you have a Bible or if you're joining online, you can look this up. Or if you have a device, you can look it up as well. I want to take you to Isaiah 39, verse 1. Let me set the stage for you. In this story we're about to read and then the following chapter we're going to discover more is basically the people of God, Israel, God's chosen nation, his holy people, he set apart and basically said, there's a couple parameters I want to give you. I want you to follow me. I want you to worship me. It's the best way for you to live, but it's also going to be tempting for you to assimilate or become like other nations that don't worship me, that actually have counter practices to the way that I want you to live. And so don't intermix with them. Don't, don't pledge your allegiance to another country. Allow that to be me. Well, I, Isaiah is kind of stepping into this moment which Babylon, this neighboring country, 
wants a piece of what Israel has. Essentially, they want to merge countries together. And this is where we enter into verse 1. Isaiah 39, verse 1. At that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, there it is, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift. So Hezekiah is the king of Israel at the time. He's trying to win him over, as you can see. He had heard about his recent illness and recovery. Verse 2, Hezekiah received these envoys gladly and then showed them what was in his storehouses. The silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his entire armory, everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all of his kingdom Hezekiah did not show them. He's trying to win these these envoys from Babylon over, saying, like, look what we have. Like, we could merge forces. This could be a really good mix. Verse 3 happens, and I love Isaiah. Isaiah is this prophet 700 years before Jesus shows up on the planet and was essentially tasked with, give people bad news. (laughs) In God's name, give people the hard truth. Give them some comfort and some hope, but you need to make sure that people are clear on the truth. They need to know. And so Isaiah pops in very on brand on verse 3 and says, Basically, what did those men say? Where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, and then he fills in the actual truth. He says, they came from Babylon. They saw everything, prophet asked, verse 4, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Hezekiah said to, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace, all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. This neighbor enemy, nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, Hezekiah, will be born to you. They will be taken away. Some of them will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Verse 8, the word of the Lord you have spoken is... This is not what I expect Hezekiah to say right here. He says, the word of the Lord you have spoken to me is good. Hezekiah replies, it's good. Now, I sometimes put air quotes on things in the Bible. This is one of those moments. I'd say, Hezekiah is saying back to them, surely the word you have spoken to me is good. He thinks he's fine. He's untouchable. He's not going to become disoriented. For he thought, and Isaiah gives us a glimpse into what's happening in Hezekiah's mind. He says, for surely, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. I'm untouchable. I'm not going to be disoriented. I'm not going to to have any struggles or obstacles. I think I'm just fine living life independent of the way God created me to live. I'm headed to Italy. (laughs) I know where I'm headed. That's essentially the conversation between Isaiah and and Hezekiah. But what I want you to hear is that what happens between Isaiah 39 and 40 is one of the most important in-between sections of all scripture. What happens between these two chapters is essentially Israel encountering, they get this message, obviously world travels fast, Israel finds out that this is going to happen, and they start to freak out. But what happens between these chapters is essentially disorientation. And you know what this feels like, disorientation it keeps you weary. Some of you had to adjust babysitting schedules because of the most recent emergency orders over the last couple months, almost what felt like daily. 
It was like, where are my kids going to go? <laughs> I cannot have them here, but where are they going to go? Uh, some of you know what it's like to have the most awesome work from home setup in March, go back to your cubicle in August and have another subpar work from home setup now because you just, there's so much disorientation. There's so much change happening. Some of you remember uh, back in March, basically making comments like, well, COVID's kind of a joke or it's a hoax. And then you've got the grandfather, the coworker who isn't there anymore. And suddenly there's this moment of disorientation of trying to decipher what is happening. I thought I was oriented. I thought I knew how things were going to play out, and then they don't play out the way I think. And this is why 39 and 40 are the most important chapters in Isaiah and maybe some of the most important chapters in all the Old Testament and the Scripture. Israel begins to question their hope. They begin to, to wrestle with disorientation, knowing that, that their time is short, their journey on the planet without being touched by people like Babylon is coming to a close. And this is where I want to spend the next couple minutes is Isaiah 40, verse 27. This is probably familiar to a lot of you. If you've been around church, you've heard these quoted, but now you know the backstory because I think we forget sometimes how God gives us strength, how God wants to reorient our lives. And this is what Isaiah writes to the people of Israel who were disoriented. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. This is what he writes in verse 29, Isaiah 40, 29. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. He's saying the, the best of the best get weary. The best of the best lose hope and lose heart. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. This is picture of transcendence and supernatural power. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. This is where our true strengths come from. This is what's happening in Israel. For me, as I look at this passage, I think the thing to learn, the thing to grab a hold of this Christmas is that misplaced hope or disorientation, not knowing where your hope lies, misplaced hope ultimately leaves us weary. It makes us weary, but true hope or reorientation gives us strength. Misplaced hope, it makes us weary. It's exhausting constantly changing your schedule, constantly changing uh, where you're finding value and identity. It's exhausting. It's tiring. It's weary. But if we find our true hope, if we decide this Christmas is going to be different, this season, even though it's radically underwhelming, is going to be different because I'm not going to go into 2021 the same person. It's not because the circumstances change. Here's what we know. The circumstances have not drastically changed. But we can decide to place our hope, to reorient our hope in a place that will give us strength. Uh, let me play this out. Um, a couple months ago, as you know, here in Michigan, gyms reopened. Some of you, that's brand new news. 
Okay, the gyms are open. If you need to go, like now's your chance. But some of you have been going faithfully again and, and kind of getting back into that rhythm. I'm one of those people. I was like, man, I can only work out so much in my basement before I just get sick of the same lime green tile. Okay, we, we inherited an old house, and this is just, it's brutal. I, I need to change of pace, uh, change of place even. So eventually we go back to the gym. Lindsay and I kind of started to get back into the rhythm. Now, something happened to me about a week ago. So I've been working with this friend who is a bodybuilder, and uh, lean to say I'm not on track for that, in case you're all curious. You're like, how's that going? That doesn't look like more Christmas cookies than weights here, but, um, which is true. <laughs> That's absolutely true. But what's interesting is, uh, as you know, if you're trying to gain muscle, you eventually want to increase weight. Like if you just worked out with five-pound dumbbells all the time, you, you will tone, you will do some things, but you really need to increase weight. And so uh, I started to move to the right side of the free weights instead of just hanging out on the left side, at least at Planet Fitness is how they're structured. What's interesting, though, uh, they're labeled on the weight rack with a certain amount. So you know, okay, these dumbbells are 15s. And so I'm going to pick up the 15s. I'm going to go do the sets and reps I had set out to do. I'm going to do that. So I get there. I grab the weights I, I want to do do some reps, do some sets, finish it out. I'm sweaty, but I'm feeling in the moment like I am the most ripped human being ever. Like I am just, it just feels easier. It feels more natural. I'm just feeling like, man, uh, the protein shakes are working here. Like I just feel totally different. Like Godzilla proportions here. Uh, you're not laughing, but I'm trying to, to give you the, the feeling that I had. Like I'm in this gym and things are just going well and I'm just walking around just head held high. I'm like, I just crushed it. Like, this is amazing. Like, let's go home early. Like I did everything I set out to do. So I finally, I kind of clean up my station, grab the dumbbells, put them back and I glance at the label and it's 15s or whatever. But then I look at the weight. The actual dumbbells have it printed right on the side and they were like fives. Okay. Do you see what happened here? <laughs> like I had thought I was just owning it with the weights that I had eventually graduated towards, and I was dead wrong. It was much lighter than I had planned, and that's why I felt so great, in case you're wondering my workout plan. Like, that, that to me was like, an talk about disorientation. I was like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, I'm falling apart internally here. Uh, but that, I think, is how a lot of people end up with their hope. I think a lot of people place their hope in things that ultimately will not give you the strength or the security that only God can give you. Misplaced hope, mis just like a misplaced weight, can leave you feeling ripped off and missing out. That's why Tim Keller, is a theologian and writer, writes this about hope. He says, you and I are unavoidably and irreducibly hope-based creatures. We're controlled not by how we live now, not just the present, but what we think will happen later. See, Christian hope has to do with the ultimate future, not the immediate. If you follow Jesus, you already know this. This is, this is part of your life. You understand what it means to live with a hope that's much more wide, much broader, much farther, much more future-based than just the present circumstances. Friends, I don't... I'm going to be brutally honest. If you're placing hope in things that are happening right now in our world, you are going to be ripped off and let down and disappointed, and you probably are. There's this feeling of weariness that comes when we live in disorientation. We constantly misplace hope. Let's just make this real for a moment. I was reading a study a couple weeks ago, Gallup Research Poll, which is polling kind of all over the place, but specifically in the U.S., 
they sent out this article, and a bunch of pastors I knew had shared it with me, and so I finally read it. I was like, all right, it's obviously worth reading. Open it up, and it says, mental health in the United States is at a 20-year low. Shocking no one, right? <laughs> I mean, duh. 2020 has been something. If anything, it's been harder mentally to process and even emotionally for some of us. And so mental health is at a 20-year low. And so you read through the demographic. It's, it's low for students, 20-year low for parents of young kids, 20-year low for political leaders and religious leaders, and 20-year low uh, even for people who thought they were good, CEOs, people whose sales are up and to the right. I mean, those people, 20-year low. But there was one demographic I read about that it was actually either at the same level it was the year before or it's gotten better over 2020. One group of people, one demographic in the U.S. that actually their mental health has either stabilized over this year or gotten better. Any guesses? It's churchgoers. People that faithfully engaged church, whether it was on, it didn't say online or or in person, it just said people that regularly engaged church, they served, they heard the scriptures, they prayed with other people, they took communion, they worshiped, they got their focus in a different place every single week. It was people who faithfully engaged with church in some form or fashion, which their mental health was either stable throughout 2020 or it actually got better. Why is that? As a pastor, as someone who deals in this arena, I think that's because Christmas. See, Christmas is the good news for you and I, people that are living in a time of disorientation to say, you don't have to live in that place forever. See, Jesus actually came in the form of a human so that you and I would know what real hope, what real strength, what real opportunity to follow God actually looks like. Let's play it out one more step. When they're laying in the manger, do you think that Jesus as the son of God experienced disorientation <laughs> when he, he became not a godly divine being walking around like with an angel sword and like taking out the enemies of Israel? No, he comes in as a baby and babies have practical needs and they smell bad and they do weird things and they say weird things. It's like this is what he did. He came in as a disoriented human being, even though he was fully God. He knows what it's like to be tempted to place your hope in a thousand other things. And yet Jesus, we look to him as the model, as the example for what true hope looks like. And when you misplace your hope, it makes you weary. But if you have true hope, you place it in the right things. It actually ends up giving us strength. That's what Isaiah 40 is all about. Not that Israel just found a better way to to navigate their own situation, but when they were desperate and hopeless and disoriented, Isaiah says, look to God. Look to someone who's greater. Look to a place where you can found and root your hope. This week, I was finishing up uh, my finals master's assignment for this semester. Some of you know I'm on the journey of master's courses and, and trying to get my grad degree, and it's a really interesting year to be doing that. Luckily, it was all online. But as I was journeying through that, one of the assignments for this particular class was to reflect on my own kind of spiritual formation over the last semester, which sounds easy, but it's really not. It's actually very difficult. And so I had to sit with it and think about it. Like I'd rather write a 10-page research paper than have to try to introspectively look at my own life. And so uh, I had to turn this in. I, was, I knew it was coming. And so 
Finally, I just begin to write. It's like you have to write a couple paragraphs about this. So I just begin to write. One of the very first things I wrote, and it kind of jumped off the page, even though I wrote it for, for like myself. This line popped off the page as I was thinking about it. I just typed on my computer and eventually sent this in. The very beginning, I just wrote, I am weaker than I assumed. I'm weaker. I am more selfish, more independent, more secure in my own ability to place my hope in things that are not God. I'm just weaker than I assumed. That's not a shock to any of you because 2020 has done that for you as well. It's probably illuminated, it's highlighted areas of your life in which you're like, I thought I was good there. I thought I'd figure this part out. I thought I'd found enough security in my sales or my marriage or my kids' athletic performance to actually have hope in this world. And for many of us, this year has just stripped all those things away and put us in a place of disorientation. You and I have the choice today, no matter what situation you bring into this morning, to say, I'm either gonna just fight to get back to orientation, I'm gonna fight to get back to all those hope things I used to have in the past, or I can reorient my life and say, God, I know, it's in true hope. It's in you. It's in you. It's hope in you that gives me strength. And so the challenge today is really simple. Just allow God to reorient you this Christmas. I'm not sure what that means for you. I'm not sure what that means for your marriage or your business or your next month decisions. I'm not sure what that even looks like for your Christmas gatherings, whatever those feel like. But allow God to reorient you this Christmas and just say, Yeah, if I'm honest, Lord, I've just put my hope in a lot of other things that have ended up failing me this year. I'm gonna choose to let you place my hope. I'm gonna gonna run to you for strength. I'm gonna run to you when things are hard, when things are difficult. I'm gonna place my hope in you again. And so what I wanna do is pray for you. Then we're gonna sing, then we're gonna celebrate baptism. Because for me, baptism is the clearest picture of someone who says, I was oriented around living one way. There was a moment of disorientation, but I'm choosing today independently as an adult to step in and say I'm going to reorient my life to Jesus Christ I'm going to place my hope in him and so we're going to celebrate that but first I want to pray for you and over you and ask that God would meet us right here so Lord we just come before you we lay down the things of this world we lay down the temptation we feel to root hope in other things to areas of our life that are separated from you to to smaller gods, to bigger idols. And so God, I pray that you would just remind us today through Isaiah's prophecy, through this powerful Christmas story, that our hope and our strength, it comes from you. It's nothing we can do to earn or, or outperform, but it just comes from laying down our weariness and our weakness and saying, God, would you, would you give me your strength this Christmas? Would you reorient me to your way? And so God, I pray for the person or the family that today just knows that that's the journey they're on and they're just gonna choose, not, I'm not gonna fight to get back to the way life was or back to whatever normal used to mean. I'm going to choose, God, to let you take me somewhere new and somewhere better this next year. God, would you reorient our hope today? Would you give us the true and lasting and living hope that that comes in the form of Jesus. 
to our own lives today. In Jesus' name.